This episode of The Spiritually Sassy Show was brought to you by Higher Dose. Elevate your mood, promote a healthy glow, support long-term health benefits, and lift your spirit with Higher Dose's at-home wellness tools that use nature-inspired technologies to release a dose of your feel-good chemicals like dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins naturally. Higher Dose's infrared, PEMF, and red light devices elevate your health and beauty rituals while their collection of body products boosts the benefits so you feel more rejuvenated, refreshed, grounded, and glowing. Ready to test the best biohacking technologies and feel better daily? Visit higherdose.com and enter the code SAW15 to save 15% on your first order. That's higherdose.com and enter the code SAH15 to save 15% on your first order and prepare to get high on your own supply. And now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? And welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show, where we are redefining what it means to be spiritual in the modern world. I'm your host, Sadi Simone. I'm a mystic, an artist, a transformational speaker, and a two-time best-selling author, soon to be three times with the support of you all for my new book coming out um, sometime in December because I've been super late turning on the final, final manuscript. But if you're a writer, you know how that is. Um, I'm also the creator of the Somatic Activated Healing Method. I'm excited for today's episode. I'm so grateful to this episode because we have the legendary Trudy Goodman, someone that I have been inspired by and really kind of, um, what's the word? Um, Like not scared. Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, um, God, the word escaping my mind, but someone that I was like, Oh my God, it's Trudy Goodman. It's the Trudy Goodman, honey. And, <laughs> and anyways, let me read the, let me get you, uh, Trudy's bio in case you don't know. Um, Trudy Goodman is the founding teacher of Insight LA and the co-founder of the Institute of Meditation and Psychotherapy. Insight LA is a nonprofit meditation community providing high quality mindfulness and compassion practices. Insight LA, for people who are in the Buddhist kind of like more classical training of, of meditation and mindfulness in Buddhism, it's, it's like the hub. It's where the who's who of the space teaches that. I haven't had the honor of teaching there yet, honey. But anyways, it is the who's who. It is the who of the who, the who teaches there. It is, it is the, the thing. Um, she's a legend in the wellness uh, community, in the spiritual community, in the mindfulness community. I think a lot of us could look at at Trudy, um, her husband, and all of all of Trudy's personal yeah. friends as people who have actually been the catalyst to us sitting here today and saying mindfulness, meditation, Buddhism. It's like these are the people who have actually like propagated and fertilized the soil for for me to be here. So. It is fucking crazy that you're here and you're excited to talk to me and you're like, hey, I follow you on Instagram. What's up? You know, anyways, uh, Trudy holds a degree in developmental psychology from Harvard. Um, And it's, you know, as I said, she's one of the senior Buddhist teachers in the United States. Okay. Welcome to the show, my love. Thank you, Sa. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Truly. When I, when we first connected, I was like, wow. That's so crazy. It's so weird to say this, but it was like, I, it was, there's no other way to put it, but it's almost like I, I felt like a validation from the universe, you know, because in my sort of approach to, to the Buddha Dharma, I've always had to fight to like be celebrated, validated, uh, to be looked at as a, as a genuine teacher. And then having you who's like the motherfucking teacher, you know, in the space <laughs> saying, yo, I like what you're doing. I approve what you're doing. I love what you're doing. Yeah. I felt like, wow, it was, it was like a hand, hand from God, especially after my mom dying, you know? So thank you. Yeah, no, I really, I really love what you're doing. And I feel like 
I think it's just so brave and it's so fun and it's so joyful. And I feel like one of the things that gets lost in the traditional teachings so often is the joy. The fact that these teachings are meant to make us happy. That's what they're for. They're to free our hearts so that we can experience the joy and the beauty and the, you know, of, of life and, and life in the form of you and life in the form of me and no two snowflakes are alike. And no, I guess we can't use that word so much anymore now, but no mm-hmm. two fingerprints, you know, mm-hmm. we're each one of us unique. And when I saw what you were doing on Instagram, I was never really on social media until last year. Um, when my brother passed away, I got on. But when I saw what you were doing, I was blown away. I was like, my God, he's, these are deep teachings. He's delivering the medicine in a teaspoon of fun and sweetness and just, you know, aliveness, dance, all the things you do. So, mm-hmm. But I think because I could see the depth of the teaching that you were offering, it was very touching to me. I was actually very moved by it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Trudy. Like, ah, you know, in these days of this like devastating grief that I'm going through and you just celebrated, celebrate is the awful word to use, but the one year anniversary of your brother's uh, uh, passing. And I don't like the word passing. I like to say death, you know, because it, it marks something. Passing feels like too... It's almost like too easy of a word. Oh, I'm sorry your mom passed away. It's like, no, I'm sorry your mom died. You know, it's just like there's a there's a severity to the yes. to the language when we say dead versus past. You know, do you agree? Totally. I agree totally. I mean, past is what I, I say when it for whatever reason I my intuition is it's too raw to say death mm-hmm. or died. Mm-hmm. But they died and they're dead. And Mm -hmm. that means they're not here on this plane with us. And I don't know Mm -hmm. what happens. You know, I haven't died yet. I don't know what Mm -hmm. happens after death. We have lots of Mm -hmm. teachings about that in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. And then you have my, one of my Zen teachers who used to say, oh, that's just a Tibetan bad dream. It doesn't exist. You know, who knows what really Mm -hmm. happens. But Mm -hmm. I think to call it what it is, is helping to kind of, I don't know, maybe detoxify that word because we live in a culture that is so death denying. Mm. And I mean, you can just feel it. I I can feel it growing older. It's like, Mm -hmm. I have a Tibetan friend, my beloved uh, colleague and friend, uh, Anam Tukten, and he told me years ago that when he was little, he wished he could be old. And I'm like, like, what kind of child were you? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, because he could see that the people with gray hair, they got the most comfy seat. They got to serve themselves mm. first of the food. They got the best food. They got, they were revered. And mm-hmm. as a kid, he wanted that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we live in a culture that's just totally the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. We just revere youth and youth is beautiful, but we don't have that frame for the wisdom Mm-hmm. appreciating the wisdom and that wisdom comes when you approach your the end of your life like mm-hmm. one thing about spiritual practice is if you do it it gives you premature wisdom you're going to have mm-hmm. wisdom at the end of your life if you get to live long mm-hmm. just because you've seen it all right and you've seen mm-hmm. the ups and downs and the impermanence and your friends have died and etc lost your parents but the beauty of what you're doing and what I did when I you know, was younger or teaching younger people, which is part of what I love about what you're doing, is mm. that people get to have premature wisdom. They don't have to wait until they're old to be wise. Mm-hmm. And our mm-hmm. world desperately needs wise mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I thank you for saying all that. And I also think that we are in a culture that is uh, profoundly death phobic, profoundly fearful of death, and also a culture that does not appreciate 
the elders, you know, I am like so looking forward to having tea with you and just letting you into my little broken heart and like hearing what you have to say. Because it's one thing to lead to to read the classical teachings. It's another thing to sit with a guru. It's another thing to sit with someone who's who who like has lived in the modern world and has had heartbreak and 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 all the ups and downs of of the capitalistic indoctrinated poisoned uh, systems that we're in and seeing all the all of that and and still you're still here you know um rooting for liberation rooting for enlightenment rooting for the buddha dharma um so i i think a celebration of of our elders is so needed and it's something that for me i've always like has been like you know the 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 dream when people ask me who do you want to hang out with it's never the current pop star it's always like you know the teachers who are like twice my age or have passed you know <laughs> excuse me have died let me let me <laughs> detoxify that word thank you for that um so i really appreciate um i really appreciate us having this conversation because you are an elder that we right. should capital s and i and sometimes people you know zen teachers uh, come on the, the podcast and they're kind of like jolted when I say should for specific things. Uh, and it's just my style, you know, to kind of get people to wake up that certain things are are capital S, should. It's like we should look up to our elders. We should celebrate the the older generation uh, more so than we celebrate the the, the the young, useful culture of people who are, you know, famous, whatever it is. I think we're so afraid of wrinkles. We're so afraid of of, I mean, you can speak to this so much more because you know I'm I'm just showering you with appreciation. Yes, <laughs> there they are. Yes. <laughs> no, it's really great because one of the things that I decided, you know, I'm uh, going on social media was one of my sort of wishes was to just be so real and to show myself as I am at all mm-hmm. different times. And so sometimes I have on makeup and my hair is nice. And sometimes mm-hmm. I've just gotten out of the water and I look like hell, but I'm happy or, you know, just being real mm-hmm. with each other because mm-hmm. that's what's mm-hmm. missing. And then it leads mm-hmm. to comparison and self-hatred and all these mm-hmm. envy mm-hmm. and jealousy, all these painful feelings instead mm-hmm. of just realizing, Oh, it's just okay to be who you mm-hmm. are and okay to be as you are, even if the whole culture tells you it's not. Mm-hmm. It is, mm-hmm. you know? There's this mm-hmm. beautiful mudra um, with one of the Buddhist statues where the, the hands are kind of like this. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody say once, the Buddha okays all sentient beings. And mm-hmm. I, thought, I love that. Yeah. And that's for you. That's for each one of us. The Buddha okays mm-hmm. all sentient mm-hmm. beings, but also I don't want to. I don't want to give mindfulness short shrift either, Saw, because sure, there's lots of superficial stuff in the guise of mindfulness, but but mindfulness is, you know, it's like the keystone in this brilliant arch of the Buddha's teachings, and it made it possible for so many people to practice who mm-hmm. wouldn't go to a Buddhist center or be interested in anything called Buddhist because it might conflict mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. religion of origin or whatever. It's just, mm-hmm. so I, I do want to give a shout out for Inside LA and for everybody who's offering the more educational, secular kind of meditation practices. It's so necessary. Yeah. It's so necessary that we are studying the classical teachings, the sutras, you know, and all the original texts and then doing our best effort to internalize and and digest it in a way that is applicable for the modern world. But I want to kind of shift and ask you a kind of a deep question right now. Are you afraid of dying? Well, my mom used to always say, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And, <laughs> Mommy. and I think, you know, she was true to that to the end. I will say it was a little hard for me because I would have loved to be able to say goodbye to her, but she was in total denial. But mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. I'm actually, um, I'm not afraid of dying. I do have some fear of being like in terrible pain or, you know, maybe in a very difficult uh, physical mm-hmm. situation. But mm-hmm. once I actually had, um, I had a terrible accident years ago. I was mm-hmm. hit by, as a pedestrian by a car and mm-hmm. thrown very far. And I had a lot of broken bones and injuries. And I was in the ambulance. And I guess my heart oh my beat was going wild or something. And he said, this is going to feel terrible, but it'll be only a minute. And it turned out they gave me some shot that actually stops your heart. 
I, and then it comes right back. And it was, it was a bad feeling. I'll be honest. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. not a good feeling to feel something, mm-hmm. something like all, everything just drained from your body. Um, but when I think of the moments when I've had either, you know, a severe illness, which has happened or that terrible accident or that mm-hmm. I, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. It's, mm-hmm. and then I have to watch out because some of my beloveds have already died. My parents, Ram Das, mm-hmm. um, some beloved friends, my brother. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, oh, I can't wait to see them again. So whether I will see them again or not, but I, I notice in my mind this fantasy of mm-hmm. when, I, when I die, because mm-hmm. of all the stories of near-death experiences where people are met by their loved ones, I just mm-hmm. imagine that that's going to happen. And, you know, saw something did happen at the accident, which I'll tell you, I wrote about this in mm-hmm. um, the memoir that I'm working on. Um, when I was thrown, I didn't ever mm-hmm. lose consciousness. And I landed on my back. I expected that I was being killed. And my mind kind of had like this first impulse was this, and this is why the organism doesn't want to die. I can say I'm not afraid of dying. This body does not want to die. And I saw that because in that moment when I was hit and went flying, there was this giant, no, in every cell of my body. And I thought, oh, this is like physiological. It was not a thought because my thoughts, in fact, time does slow down, just like they say. My th- I was lying on my back looking up at the trees. It was January and the trees were bare. And I remember thinking, oh, this is like Mary Poppins. I actually had that thought. Then wow. wham, I hit the, oh, and then I had another thought too before I hit the ground. I had plenty of time because time slowed down. So I had the Mary Poppins thought. And then I thought, oh, I always thought I would be in my bed surrounded by loved ones, like not on the street. You know, ew. Mm. Anyway, I never lost consciousness. With all my injuries, I never had even a scrape or a bruise on my head. How did my head not hit the ground like that? So while I was waiting for the ambulance, I had an out-of-the-body experience. Mm -hmm. Where I was up in the air looking down at the whole scene, and I could see the guy who hit me. He was crying, and I could see my neighbors, and they were all upset. They'd come out of their houses it was nighttime and I could see my body. I had made him pull me out of the street, which he said, I'm not supposed to. I was like, get me out of the street. He propped me up on a car and I just saw my body like uh, against the car. And then I heard a voice, an unmistakable voice. And I never, mm-hmm. I was not somebody who heard voices habitually, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. spoke to me and said, we could not prevent the accident, but we cushioned your fall. And I thought, oh, I mean, in that moment, I didn't really think anything. Uh, I was just happy to be out of that body. But, mm-hmm. but later and now, I, it's, it, it was a changing moment, you know, where suddenly I, I had always been pretty mm-hmm. skeptical. My dad was a scientist. I was pretty skeptical about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. there might be mm-hmm. in other mm-hmm. realms of consciousness, mm-hmm. other dimensions, yeah. Yeah. or our dimension when we died, we've died. Mm-hmm. But that experience kind of changed my mm-hmm. view because, in fact, how could my head, you, you fall on your back, you hit your head too, right? I mean, immediately, yeah. So something did happen that was magic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Who, what was that voice, you think? Did you put it in a category of angels, gods? I have no idea. I mean, most people probably would say angels, Mm -hmm. guardian spirits. I I truly don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And that would be the most honest answer. And I, well, that's good. And that's very bold for, for you to be someone who so many people look up to, to have those answers, to say, I don't know. So thank you for that. Well, you know, that was how I was taught. My first teacher was a Korean Zen master who really taught us how to rest in the unknown and that to not know was actually more important than to know in, in spiritually, not to not at school. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to be willing to not know our experience, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I know everything, saw, then I'm only ever going to have the, the life I already know. That's right. And none That's of right. us come to do these practices, whether it's the form of dance or song or sitting meditation or walking or, you know, whatever your practice might be. I'm a water spirit. So swimming is certainly one of mine. But none of us come to these practices because we want to have only what we already know <laughs> or feel. That's right. We all yeah. want to learn and grow and feel the expansiveness of what's possible for the human heart, right? Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful teaching, resting in the unknown as like the, the, the priority of existing in, if I heard that correctly. But that's so hard because yeah, we're is. fixated on, on, on knowing everything and being and, and in this culture of like hyper um, education and going from a podcast to a social media post and then to a course yeah. and to this. It's just like an ongoing, it never stops. I have to know every single thing. And from one degree, it's kind of helpful, right? Because now we know what's happening across the world because before we had no idea what was happening. Um, but now it just, it leads us in, and I like to say that this hyper need for education is just keeping us out of our body and not in a mystical experience the way you are uh, propagating and explaining there. It's just an out of the body as a trauma response because being in the body requires to feel, requires to be aware, requires us to, to not know and rest in that, right? So it's so hard to like choose to not engage in any distractions, although they're very seductive to stay inside, right? Yes. And I mean, we're having, like you point out, we're actually having out of the body experiences all day. You know, when we're dissociated, <laughs> we're dissociated, we're disconnected from our feelings. We're, you know, what a body. Um, <laughs> I guess I That's have right. one. Um, That's right. So yeah, yeah it, it's nothing to romanticize, but um, in fact, you know, one of the core practices of insight meditation is to connect with the body and to feel the feelings in the body because, I mean, the Buddha said all the truths of life, all the truths of the Dharma, you can find in this fathom long body, this one body that we have. Mm -hmm. We can Mm -hmm. see the impermanence of this body. Mm -hmm. When you're young, maybe you Mm -hmm. can't see it so well, but I can sure see it when I look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And you can see the the um the suffering that comes when we get sick you get covid or you get you know whatever something and you can see um the selflessness in the body because if this body was under the control of this self i can tell you right now we would stop aging right this minute we're good we don't need to go any further right but i can't make that happen mm-hmm. just like a kid can't keep their baby teeth it doesn't happen Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we see all of the core teachings of impermanence, of the truth that suffering does come our way. So we want to cultivate as much joy and strength and resilience as we can to meet it, right? And the truth of the no, there's not really a self that is in charge of this here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that. Wow, that's so deep. Trudy, I'm like, oh my God, unpacking all of this. Wow, that's so good. Well, things you unpack all the time in your posts. Oh, I thank you, my you darling. It. I thank see you, you dancing and talking about impermanence. And I'm just like, that's right. Why don't we <laughs> dance and talk about impermanence? I think that's something that Buddhism really could learn from Sa Simon. Oh, thank you, my dear. Thank we you. Yeah, we'll do it together. Room. We'll post. We'll, we'll sh- we should, you should come over to my rooftop or I go over to your house and then we can do a an impermanence uh, dance and okay. show the world what that looks like. Yeah. Listen, I have, you know, I, I just want to emphasize, reflect on one point you said, which is like through the body that we can actually like, you know, um, as, as someone said it recently, like as we can pierce through the clouds. I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh who used that language, like opening, you know, piercing through the clouds or opening the clouds or lifting the veil, whatever it may be. But I, I think a lot of people think that um, it, it, we can think our way out of our suffering, that we can uh, visualize ourselves out, out, out of our mm-hmm. suffering. But it truly, the way I've I've realized, you know, this was like maybe five years into my journey, um, it was like I was doing all these holy practices 
that looked very holy and outside, but all of it was a way for me to distract myself from being in my body to feel. Even my meditation practice was just awareness of the breath. It wasn't vipassana or it wasn't inside. It was like, okay, now, you know, tracking and being with the feelings in the body. No, 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 no. Let me just go back and trace the breath in and out. Now let me chant a mantra. Now let me visualize, but never like, let me track the feelings. Let me be with the feelings. Because they were so scary. Yes. Because every yes. time I would touch a feeling, I would feel yes. like all the, everything that I didn't want to feel. Absolutely. So I love what you said, the, 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 the you know, uh, you're paraphrasing, quoting what the Buddha said, that it's through the body that we can find our freedom. And I know so many of us have been brutally, um, you know, uh, violated and hurt and, and all this trauma that it, it's so unsafe to be in a body and it's so uh, unfamiliar to come home to the body. But, you know, one thing that I say often, it's like, come back into your body was the first Dharma lesson I've ever received. I was up in, in Dharamsala doing a 10-day course at Tushita up there um, in the north of India. And, you know, our meditation teacher said, Sa, come back into your body. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean? I'm in my body. And it took me years to realize what he was actually saying. And um, so thank you for saying that because we can never say that enough, you know. And also, you know, when you've had trauma into your body, it's hard. Like, I remember after the accident, I would try to bring my consciousness into my body, bring awareness into my body. And it would just like boop, jump right back out. It's like, nope, yeah. nope, we're not going there. Nope. Honestly, I think it took me like a year or two to be able to fully inhabit my body again. Wow. Wow. So I, I really want to respect the trauma that, that we mm -hmm. carry mm -hmm. and how hard it can be, we can say, it's, these are easy words to say, but it takes a lot of courage and support to actually do these things. And that's why we practice communally. And since ancient times, people have practiced communally. It's too grim and lonesome to try and do this all by yourself. That's right. That's right. I want to bring something back to the accident. You said really precious words. You said that the voice that you heard, I'm going to call the voice of God. Okay. So it's me. It's not you. I'm not. Sure. You know, no, that's, that's fine. The voice of God or the voice of spirit, right? Or the voice from the unseen world spoke. Um, we couldn't prevent the accident, but we can cushion it. I'm paraphrasing what you said. So what's your view on karma and your accident? And I know I'm putting you on a spot, but it's truly good, man. I have to, like, if, when I, I sit with a legend, I have to ask, you know? Saw, I love being on the spot. That's okay, where I like good. to be. It's a live okay. place. It's okay, a place good. nobody's asked me that ever before. So now I have to say, whoa, I don't know. Let's think. Let's just reflect for a minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, karma, we use karma to mean destiny or fate or things like that. But actually, karma just means action. And if I look at my actions and think, what was this a metaphor for? I can tell you actually what I think. Now, who knows really? This is a thought, mm -hmm. it's my speculation, mm -hmm. but, but it's my intuition too. Mm -hmm. um, at the time when I had the accident, mm -hmm. unbeknownst to me, my uh, beloved husband, my former husband was having an affair. And he was actually sleeping with a friend of the family. Mm. I had no idea. Um, wow. She was hanging around all the time after my accident. She never helped. She didn't bring any food or anything. She didn't. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one point asking her kind of like, like, what are you doing here yeah. all the time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're not bringing me any soup. Where's the bone the broth? Dishes. You're not making the, you're not you know? doing the dishes. Like what, what are you doing, honey? <laughs> I'll be that person too, Trudy. I would definitely be like, excuse me. Like what? I have broken bones. I'm immobilized. My poor husband, like you could do the laundry or something. Anyway. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, well, you're getting all this attention and people are coming and visiting you and bringing you flowers and gifts. And, and he's getting left out. Meanwhile, he was <laughs> it's a little bit like me and Jack. He was the better known teacher mm. because we live in patriarchy and uh, mm -hmm. many of the women like me were raising their kids and, or being single moms or doing, you know, not writing the books and mm -hmm. things that would get the attention that they, you know, that the teachings deserve. Mm -hmm. So when I think about the accident, I think, okay, what, what happens? Like you're, you're blindsided. I was in a, I was in a crosswalk 
and this car made a left turn into me, there was no way I could see it. Just like there was no way I could see what my husband Mm -hmm. was doing at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I trusted him and Mm -hmm. I didn't, I I did have a bad intuition about her, but Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I don't know how it is for you, but I and many girls slash women, we blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. I thought Mm -hmm. I'm just being kind of bitchy. Why, you know, I blame myself for those suspicions mm-hmm. that I had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I even asked him at one point, cause she, and I wrote about mm-hmm. this too. She mm-hmm. I had this yellow f- sort of sunflower that I wore in my ponytail. Mm-hmm. And she started wearing a yellow sunflower in her ponytail. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, what's up with this? What? She, he was just like, imitation is the, what's the expression? The greatest compliment or something. The, yeah. The highest flattery or something like yeah. that. Um, so if I, if you ask me, what is the karma? I would say I needed to wake up. I needed Mm. something to like hit me and wake Mm. me up. Now I didn't actually wake up to that later. I did. And then I looked back and I thought, oh, oh, I was Mm -hmm. blindsided literally. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. You know, I asked that question no, because... No, I wanted to ask you, what were you wondering about? Because I bet my answer didn't answer it. No, it answered. It was like you you, 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 you were able to see the symbology, the symbolism in that. And, um, and, and that's, that's good enough for me. Okay. Because wh- wh- how, how it was coming up for me was, you know, when my mom died, um, it was really hard to kind of like... Um, how can I say this to, to, to upkeep and to sustain the faith in my doctrine, in my Buddhist Vajrayana Mahayana doctrine of, of believing and practicing. Right. Um, and I say this with grace and I say this with kindness and, and patience, right? Because death is so severe. It's so profound and it's so not talked about. And, and we see karma in, in this very simplistic way, but it's very complex, right? The yeah. natural yeah. law of cause and effect and how everything comes to be because of something else. And sometimes things aren't, aren't things that we did. This experience that we call Trudy Goodman didn't do things to deserve what Trudy is receiving or Sa, this experience that we call Sa didn't deserve to go through all the hurt and and violation and 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 abuse and all the things that I have and I feel like I'm gonna cry. Um, but looking at my mom's experience and people saying, oh, she's purifying. Oh my God, that's such good purification. You know, next lifetime it's gonna be so good. She purified all this negative karma. And then, you know, her cancer that was like literally in pretty much every corner of her body when she was when she was dead um people were saying it was you know one could read one very immature spiritual person could read into okay that's all the cause and effect of her previous actions that's why she is enduring this kind of karma and it's too simplistic of a view and it's very immature Buddhists or Eastern practitioners could see it that way and can kind of, it, it puts people in the Western world who are having very tragic, traumatic experiences. It, it, it just turns the, it could just lead to a very sort of like neurotic and psychotic state of, of, of experience. Right. So you see where I'm going with yeah, this. Cause you're it's talking about blaming you know, the victim really. That's what you're talking about. And, and saw the Buddha was really clear. You can't, if you can't trace karma in that simplistic way. In fact, he said, if you try to figure it out, you're going right. to go crazy. Literally. That's right. it, he called it one of the imponderables, one of these great imponderables. Like you can't ponder it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can mm-hmm. ponder it, but it'll just drive you nuts. Because, it will never lead to an answer. Or it will yeah. lead to the sort of, blaming or shaming answer that, you know, somehow your mom's actions caused her cancer, which mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's not that we have no responsibility. If I smoke, you know, three packs of cigarettes a day, I do mm-hmm. elevate the chances, <laughs> but, That's right. but to go from saying I have some responsibility to saying it's basically my fault. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's like there we have personal responsibility in in it, but it isn't as 
uh, simple as it's all your fault or it's all all their fault. You know, I think that's one of the hangups I have with like traditional psychoanalysis. It's like mommy and daddy are the reason why I'm fucked up or, you know, this yeah, it's not grandpa enough. and this thing, it, 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 there's always someone to blame. And a lot of a lot of the studies, a lot of the things that we do in therapy, and trust me, I have a therapist. I I study contemplative psychotherapy. I love the field of psychology. I think it's valuable and amazing and so incredible. And I also think there's a lot of blame and shame and 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 a lot of um, I'm the reason I am because mommy and daddy did X, Y, and Z. And and yet they perhaps were were fertilizing or not fertilized, but perhaps they were kind of watering some seeds of things that have been with you uh, for a while uh, or from previous lives. But I feel like it's so much more what you said at the beginning, Trude. It's like resting in the unknown. Like, you know, it's, it's my biases. It's my polarized view. Is it helpful? Does it does it make me come alive or does it suck the energy away from me? And anything that sucks the energy away from me, I, I just choosing to say no that doctrine does not is not approved it's a bad theology so bye girl you know exactly and what you just said is also very profound because when you talk about that which enlivens you and uplifts you and that which sucks the energy and drains you you know that is really what the buddha was teaching he had this expression that i loved which was is onward leading what is onward leading? And what that means is what leads to happiness and what leads not, you know, it's not some moralistic thing. It's like you do the things that will lead to happiness, understanding what real happiness is. And it's more than just, you know, pleasure seeking, which is fine, but it's deeper and more um, richer than that. And you try to not take the path that's leading to feeling vampirized and drained and, you know, all those other things that you're talking about. And that, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important. The other thing is, I feel because here in the West, we don't have um, a tradition of uh, calling in the ancestors and relating to our ancestors. It becomes too focused on, like you said, mommy and daddy and maybe their parents. But if mm-hmm. you look into this endless regress of generations and generations that really have gone into making you all the way back mm-hmm. to right invertebrates and single cell mm-hmm. creatures and but even just the human generations that have gone into who you are and who I am and who everyone listening is, then how do you assign blame? These mm. things cascade down the generations. And I have heard you say it stops with you. I have heard you say that. And when you said that, I was just cheering. I was like, yes, each one of us can stop those. Um, can stop these chains or whatever we want to call them that just cascade or go down. Generational trauma, generational curses, you you know, like uh, all of the pain and the violence that have been endured and, 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 you know, accepted, not accepted, but um, unconsciously approved by our ancestors. And it's us who choose to accept, but not approve, right? Accept that it happened or accept that it's happening, but not approve because no consent Uh, if you don't give consent, you can't move forward. And it's our job. It's our choice, um, to, to do that. And wow. Thank you for saying that. It's, I think this is one of the conversations that we're not having it often enough where psychologists and, and traditional Buddhist teachers are, and people like me in between of all of it, you know, kind of like dancing that dance of like, it's, it's, it's way more mysterious than we, than we, that we can ever assign a title or look at the DSM or whatever it is, you know, it's way more, it's way more complex and it's way more contradictory and paradoxical than the mind could ever like fathom. You know, it's, it's language that the heart could, could dance in. Thank you. And that's as a psychotherapist, I mean, I don't practice anymore, but I did for many, many years and I've worked in schools and hospitals and private practice and all kinds of settings. Um, but I really have to say that any any seasoned clinician is going to tell you that what is healing is the relationship heart to heart. It's not the this method, the that method, or the other method. Um, it's not, I mean, we draw, hopefully, you know, a good clinician draws from all kinds of uh, methods and understandings. But in the end, what is healing is that person who cares about you, 
who listens to you, who allows you to hear yourself and begin to see your distorted perceptions and patterned reactions that don't serve you and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's about the heart more than anything. And I, I also love therapy. I think it's essential for people, but therapy, you know, therapy takes you so far. Therapy addresses areas that are not so addressed in mindfulness and Dharma practice about your mm-hmm. personal history. But then again, it, it can't take you transpersonal. It can't take you into dimensions of consciousness that the therapist hasn't had the blessing to experience themselves. So how could they take you there? Mm-hmm. Mm, so beautiful. And it goes into that quote of, of Pema Chodron, where she says, and I'm paraphrasing, she says something like, we can't be with the darkness of others until we have been with our own darkness. And I think if we're going to sort of simplify that language, it's like, unless we have a somatic practice of, of insight or vipassana meditation or body awareness meditation, where we're tracking being with the feelings in the body, it's nearly impossible for us to like navigate these really unconscious, really dark, shadowy aspects of our, of our inner world, you know, and therapists, if they have a somatic practice, a meditation practice, a mindfulness practice to guide their patients and, and students and clients into that space, sometimes you leave therapy with a lot of the stories are like running through your mind and the feelings are running through your body and you're in a you're in a state of like perhaps even re-traumatized, you know. And I think it's vital that like therapists listening, you gotta get yourself into the mindfulness, somatic. Uh, body-based understanding and they know they know especially i know everyone trauma, I, we all know especially with trauma yeah. and addictions which of course are fueled by trauma and yeah yeah all of that for sure um i was thinking of something when you were talking about therapy and meditation and um I think that, you know, it so much depends on the sincerity of your heart and what you really want most and what's most important to you because you know, some people use therapy defensively and just report their day and don't want to go deep. And the therapist sometimes doesn't know how to break through that. They have to be, you know, really good to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people will use meditation, like you said, the focus on just the breath and shut out or the mantra and shut out everything mm-hmm. else. And you can attain these states that are really beautiful for your nervous system, really concentrated and focused and but when you come out of that state, which you inevitably do, <laughs> it's all there. All the stuff that troubled you before you went into that state mm-hmm, is there waiting mm-hmm. for you. And that's why I do love the awareness practices. Um, mm-hmm, and I think, mm-hmm. yeah, one of the things I love too about the Mahayana, the Zen and Vajrayana and you know other mm-hmm. practices uh, is looking at all these shadowy places that you were talking about, the painful things that we don't want to look at about ourselves, um, the self-reflection that's just hard to do, um, to see that as that's where the pay dirt is spiritually. That's actually what is that? The pay dirt? What's I that said word? Pay dirt. That's where the payoff. That's where Ah, okay. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. that's where the gold, whatever expression mm-hmm. you want yeah. to use yeah. that. Yes. In the Theravada, the early Buddhist traditions, we have lots of antidotes for these states and they're very helpful and very useful, but sometimes to be able to see that that state itself as painful as it is that right in the midst of that, there is a lot of aliveness and that if you can hang in there with it, it will, your, I love this expression. I use this a lot. Your miserable karma will transform into your wonderful dharma. And you'll do a dance Ooh. of joy. You'll do a saw dance. <laughs> wow. Your miserable karma will become your wonderful dharma. Wow, Trudy. What a wonderful insight. Yeah. That's beautiful because we're here to teach the lessons that we have learned, right? And if we are able to meet our misery and be in that excruciating, painful hell realm of a body, sometimes this experience, the aliveness that comes from it, it's it's inevitable. Like when we walk into a room, once we've sat with these really dark, shadowy, textured feelings... We walk into a room after that work has been done. You better believe the temperature is changing with every 
everywhere you go. And you're making it warm and you're lighting up incense in the the unseen world. You know, the lights going on. Like people are like, what is happening? Why am I sitting up again? Why am I posture is better? Why am I, why am I smiling? I was miserable. All of a sudden it's your, the impact of your inner world is lifting everybody because you've chosen to do that. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. And Mm. you know, like you, like, I mean, not the same, of course, but I've lived through so many hard times and, and sometimes it's, sometimes I look back and I think, you know, I became a mom really young and I was just too immature to be a good mom. I was like 21 when I got pregnant, you know, I, I mean, I look at my granddaughter who's 21. I I just feel so sorry for my daughter that she had to have me for a mom for those first 10 years till I really grew up. But we look back on things in our lives that might feel just hard to remember and they bring up some harsh self judgments. And I want to just give a shout out for self-compassion and to say, to just let our memories and our plans be saturated with compassion, with Mm. kindness, with um, not that we're never accountable for what we've done, but we can be accountable and not hate ourselves. We can be accountable and not feel guilty or drown in that, um, mm-hmm. that kind of pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This is like perfect where you're going. Cause like, well, I do want to ask like, why would someone going to the Dharma at such a young age, right? You have like four decades of teaching, but I, just keep that in your ans- in your awareness as you're answering this, but you're speaking about forgiveness. Uh, and you're speaking about the, the, the sort of, you know, how important it is to to kind of have self-compassion. What does that look like? And what does a practice of forgiveness look like? And what is someone who is who is a, a, awake and seeing like, wow, I, I wasn't the mom I wanted to be for those first 10 years. And, or perhaps I, I, I hurt people and I did this. And I like, how does someone kind of touch base with that? Or, or how do we even like sort of transform our view of our past with the nectar of forgiveness, perhaps take it anywhere you want. Um, but I just, you, you're one of, one of the big questions we have on the show is forgiveness. Yeah. The role of forgiveness. It's a big question. And I think the problem with practicing forgiveness so many times is that people want to jump to forgiveness because forgiveness feels better than being admired in states of hatred and revenge fantasies and holding grudges and all that is so painful. So I want to be forgiving because then I'm a nice spiritual person, right? But you can't jump from your pain to forgiveness just like that. It doesn't, I mean, you can try, but you're just pasting a smiley, you're pasting a forgiving face on something that isn't really ready to be forgiven. Um, And I think that there's so many things you can do in the mean, in sort of in between to get ready to genuinely forgive. Um, one of the things for me is reflecting on and sharing with others. I, not keeping it as my shameful secret, whatever the it is that I let somebody abuse me or betray me. Or, I mean, I sure did. I let my former husband, I mean, he had lots of affairs before I woke up. You know what I mean? And it, it was lots of things going on. And so how do I forgive him? How do I forgive myself? First, I have to forgive myself for overriding my intuition, for betraying myself in that way. Um, And then I can forgive him. But first, I have to be able to reflect on it. And that takes support either a friend or your spiritual community, or it doesn't have to just I feel like we get into this sort of condemned isolation otherwise. And then there's no self-compassion. And if there's no self-compassion, frankly, there's no real forgiveness. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, just forgiving other people for hurting you and you don't forgive yourself, that's just more mm-hmm. um, injury. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's reenacting a pattern of self, um, I won't say self-hatred, but self-injury anyway. So for forgiveness to work, I feel like first we have to, this is a theme, right? Feel our feelings fully. Feel the anger. Feel the sorrow. Feel the heartache. Feel the devastation. We have to feel those things first. And what happens is with the courage and the support and the willingness to feel things fully, 
the miserable karma transforms into the wonderful dharma and your heart becomes more open and then you're ready to forgive. And why are you ready to forgive? Because nothing else makes sense ultimately. It's beautiful. Wow. Is there anything that's unforgivable? Oh, I think there are many acts that are unforgivable, but I don't think there's a person who's unforgivable. I think the things- God, you're so wise. Oh my God, let me take that in. Wow, that's deep, Trudy. <laughs> oh my God, say that again. I mean, so many things are unforgivable. I mean, sexual assault is unforgivable. Uh, violence, hurting other people is unforgivable. But the people who are doing these things are either enacting their, own, you know, offloading their own self-loathing onto somebody else, or it's how they, I mean- I don't I remember reading one of these like serial killers was mm-hmm. so severely sexually abused as a child. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I mean? When you look, mm-hmm. when you look at everybody deeply, everybody has, is fighting some kind of great battle within themselves who hurts other people. Right. So, but no, the actions are unforgivable. Absolutely. Abusing a child the tender, open darlingness of a child mm-hmm. hurting them deliberately. You better post that on social media, honey, because I want to repost that. Actions, there are actions that are unforgivable, but no person doing the actions is unforgivable, right? And did I get that right? That's yeah, so you profound. Can post it. <laughs> we wow, can no, post you post it. This is you. Okay, I'll tell, I'll tell them my Dharma teacher, <laughs> Truda Goodman, <laughs> spoke about this. This is deep. Wow. <laughs> Wow, I thought so we were going to be laughing and dancing the whole time. <laughs> I know, are, you know, but, but it's... But we are. We're, de- we're doing deep dancing. We're dancing with the Dharma. We we're dancing That's with our... That's right. Our, these are our hearts dancing in the... Our hearts are singing yeah. right now, really. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm so just, you know, it's... And I say this lightly and with grace, but it's, it's um, you know, behind closed doors, I'm, I'm kind of very... Um, not kind of, I'm, this is the only thing that interests me, Trudy. It's just like the Dharma and the mind and, and why do we suffer and why do we perpetuate suffering? And like, how do I, you know, stop? And, you know, the, like one big theme that's so alive for me right now, it's looking at like drug overdoses in America, a hundred thousand people die at overdoses um, every year, looking at the homelessness crisis um, and like how people are, how we don't have a system of calling on the phone a mental health practitioner or a, a mental health facility or a government branch that we can call upon when we're have when when an unhoused person when we deem that they are doing something that we don't see as good or right or acceptable, but we have to call the cops and the cops don't have mental health training, they so they're hurting people. And, and my 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 boyfriend uh, Benjamin Decker said this yesterday. We are in a culture that we are criminalizing poverty and we're criminalizing mental illness. We're criminalizing everything that's that isn't quote unquote normal. And and we know there's nothing that is normal, right? Um, so, anyways, I'm just this is this is like the dance the dance that we're doing. Um, sort of in a non-verbal way where our hearts are, are definitely dancing together. I just have to say thank you because I feel so alive, you know, by it. But now I want to ask you um, about um, why did you get into the Dharma at such a young age? Like what propelled that, you know? Gosh, I've asked myself that question. So I, I know that when I was 15, um, just through, I've had different circumstances where I've been alone at times when people aren't usually like, yeah, like I, I kind of left home when I was 15 and I lived alone um, Mm. in a kind of boarding house in Paris and went to school and, but it wasn't a boarding school. I was living independently and, you know, going to Mm -hmm. school. And, And I remember I was reading all these existentialists because these are deep existential questions that you're asking about our existence mm-hmm. and about our life right. and birth and death. And mm-hmm. what is this we're involved in here? And so I know that even when I was a young teenager, I, I really was interested in these questions. Mm-hmm. And then I had some experiences um, 
when I gave birth to my daughter, I had this, I mean, I didn't know what to call it. Actually, I didn't call it anything. I just thought this is what happens when you give birth. I had this giant spiritual opening. I write about it in my memoir. And I just, I just thought, oh, oh, this is, I just saw this is like, it wasn't just me. I was just this tiny little speck poised on the pinnacle of nowness in this huge, mm-hmm. vast chain of being. And, you know, I saw all this stuff and, mm-hmm. but I put it aside. I never even mentioned it to anybody because I just thought that's what happens when you're in labor. <laughs> Later, I was in a women's group and I realized, no, nobody else <laughs> had that experience when they gave birth. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people do, but it certainly wasn't like a common thing. But then later, two and a half years later, my daughter uh, was in the hospital dying with um, spinal meningitis. She didn't die, obviously. I have grandkids and she's fine. But I shouldn't tell you that because it's a story in the book. I shouldn't tell you how it comes out. But I want our, I want all our listeners to know it was fine. And I had another one of those experiences where she was she coded and all these doctors and nurses came running and there's this tiny little two-year-old body with these you know big adults all working on her to save her life Mm -hmm. and I had another I was alone but I was in the hospital room with her and Mm -hmm. that was just a blessing that I was there but I had this huge another opening where sort of everything fell away and I saw God I was like this is what God is it is the compassion of these people trying to save this little life. God is not up in the sky or in the Bible or the Quran or anywhere else. God is here. And this time I didn't forget it. And I wanted to find people who who understood what I was seeing and who had seen that and who really, I thought there must be, you know, I, I can't be alone. This There must be other people who know this. And so then I actually started looking. Um, and I tell all the story of that in my memoir, but you so know, it was through hardship, right? Yeah. Would you, yeah, I would say like it the- was through moments of being alone with intense suffering. Oh, because that was the other thing that was so weird. This would never happen today. I was alone during most of my labor in a, first I was in a room with this other woman and she was like screaming for her daddy. And I was terrified. I was like, Oh my God this what happens to women when they give birth? I mean, I didn't know anything. I was a kid. I was like, she's calling for her daddy? Help! I got so nervous. And um, they wheeled her out, luckily. And then my husband, my first husband, I've had a few, and I always love telling Jack. He's my favorite one. But um, I say you're my (laughs) favorite husband of all. And... (laughs) (laughs) You're a serious lover. So this one, so, you know, I'm 21, he's 24. Neither of us know what the hell to do. I'm going, I'm in labor, this intense labor. And he's reading his book. He's reading a mystery. And I'm just like, I can't stand it that you're reading your book. I love to read too. You're reading your book and I can't read. Get out of here. (laughs) I was terrible. Poor guy. He slunk out of the room to go in the waiting room. And then I was alone for hours. And, you know, a nurse comes in occasionally to check to see if your cervix is dilated and tells you, oh, just a few hours more. And you're like, oh, my God, kill me now. And (laughs) I was not prepared. I, you know, I want to say to all of you who may be pregnant or haven't had a baby yet, it's not that bad. I was given something to make my labor more intense for different reasons. And and you'll prepare yourselves because nowadays people have a birth plan. You know, our birth plan was go to the hospital, have a baby, take it home. That was our birth plan. <laughs> you'll be fine when you give birth. But to answer, come back to our, you know, to your question. Yes, these experiences happened in moments of intense suffering when I was alone with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I think a lot of people, there is illumination and liberation and, and enlightenment in ecstatic moments of joy, of euphoria, of pleasure also. But I think we yeah. have to sort of a 
dismystify and, and detox our, our colonized view um, of suffering and pain and just kind of like, unfortunately, we have to welcome it if we want to get free. Would you agree? Yes. And also some of those high experiences, very exalted high experiences, they're important because they show us things that we wouldn't have seen in, in a, if we weren't in an altered state. But you could also get into sort of a trance and it doesn't have anything to do with your everyday life. And, and your everyday life is where the rubber meets the road. We know this. This is the life we're living. I mean, we're in the relative world most of the time. And so, yeah. Get to it. And, and Listen, Trudy, we didn't get to talk about your book. Talk to us briefly well, about your memoir about, that you're writing. How about when I write it? I'll come back on. We can talk about it when I finish writing it. I have about three quarters of the way finished writing it. Um, but what I'm doing in my book is, is, I think it's what you do. I think it's what Ramdas did. It's like making my life a teaching. I'm not, it's not a Dharma book where I'm outlining the teachings of the Buddha or mindfulness or this one or that one. It's because there are plenty of wonderful books like that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm expressing what I've gone through and, and the lessons that I've learned. And some of them are just implicit in the book. And some, I've got some little Dharmets that make it a little more explicit if people are interested but everybody can make their life like that. Everybody can share their life and the lessons that they're learning that are helping them be wiser and, and more compassionate. You know, everything that you've been through and that you share with others and all of our listeners, everybody has a life and everybody has stories. And I think it was the poet Muriel Reichser who said, the world is not made of atoms. It is made of stories. And you can look at that from a meditation perspective, like everything's a story. It's not the real, you know, it's, it's an illusion. Life is a dream. But you can also look at it as this is what makes us who we are and how we connect with each other and how we're never alone, actually. And so profound. Talk about a way to talk about interdependence and emptiness and like, whoa, you are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was so good. And I just want to I think maybe this would be a good, I don't know, good closing spot. But uh, I have always loved this quote. And it's from a Zen teacher, Soanakagawa Roshi, who said, if life is a dream, make it a good dream. And I think that's what all your work is about, Saw, and that's why I really bow to you for it. Thank you, my dear. And to everyone listening, let's make it a good dream. And sometimes, you know, I was listening to um, this, uh, uh, this incredible being, I forgot their name, but they run this called the NAP Ministry, I believe. And, and they, were, they were speaking about like dreaming a new dream. You know, and let's dream a new dream, one that's, um, you know, that helps us to come alive, one that's filled with selflessness and service and kindness and compassion, one that we're dancing and serving at the same time, you know? And that's what I tried to do with Insight LA. You know, Insight LA is the nonprofit that I started here not long after I moved to Los Angeles. And I started it out of my own loneliness. I didn't know anybody. I came for family reasons to support my mom and my daughter who was starting to have her babies. And I really, uh, I needed company. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, if I need company and I feel this way, other people do too. And, and, but that's what Inside LA was started for, to help us all dream a good, a better dream. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And to dream a better dream, we have to rest. And how do we rest? Meditation is a great way to rest, you know? So thank you, Trudy. Good man for being on the show. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. I think one of the biggest takeaways I have from this episode is uh, first w- w- the turning our, our our miserable karma into our wonderful dharma. That was like really deep, and I I love that so much. Like it's it really is like meeting the really the discomfort, and then in that you know we get these glimmers, these points of awakening. Is there a takeaway from the episode? Something that kind of like um, you know, speaks to you that we've touched upon? I can't say one specific 
thing, but what I take away from the episode is you and my time with you and your open heart and your creativity and your Dharma depth. I mean, you really see it. And I love that. It makes me feel that you're my Dharma brother. I love that. That's, that's really, I think, my takeaway. And also, I feel like we're both, you know, I, I'm in a way, I'm your little sister on social media because I started just recently, but I really feel to use that for the good, to show the algorithms that there's good stuff. And, you know, I, I just feel that's part of changing something that could be somebody's miserable karma, right? Addicted to scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, and there's the wonderful Dharma. It's right there. They can find it. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for social media from that perspective. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Trudy. And thank you for everyone listening. I love you all so much. And don't forget to uh, leave me a voicemail um, with questions or prayer requests or feedback, whatever may be going on for you. We're here to support you in any way we can. The number is 805-285-2331. And also rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Uh, if you love it, reviews are super important to keep the success of the show going. And stay in touch with me at Sadi Simone, S-A-H-D-S-I-M-O-N-E on Instagram or TikTok. And uh, maybe you haven't even checked out my website. Go check it out, sadisimone.com. And we got a new episode coming for you every Tuesday. I love you very much. Take good care. Bye.